Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. Gospel of John, chapter 10, in verse 10. We're going to start this new series today on prosperity. Prosperity with a purpose. So John, chapter 10. In verse 10, I'm excited, but I preach better when you respond better. So we're going to have a great time today, and we're going to lay some foundation for where we're going the rest of this series. John 10, in chapter 10, very familiar verse. Also, Haas, you always do an awesome job on the drums. We want to give you a shout out. Let's, let's give it up for Haas. No. He went, he went, no. It's, it's not me. It's God, man. It's God. It's God. John 10, chapter 10, the thief, that's the enemy, that's the devil, does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But this is Jesus. He said, but I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Notice that. The thief, that's the enemy, does not come except, this is what he does, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. So if you're taking notes, the first message of this series, I want to talk today about rich God, poor God. Rich God, poor God. Now, when we start talking about money in church, people get uncomfortable. I don't, you do. Um, (laughs) But there should be no reason why. If you want to know what anyone has to say about money, it should be God. And we get everybody else's advice. We get the news's advice, our banker's advice, our lawyer's advice, our parents' advice, our friends' advice, our counselor's advice. But what does God have to say about money? Because what God has to say about money is not just an, an opinion or an assumption. It is the truth. And God has a lot to say about money. Now, now understand this. If you look it up, there's over 2,000 verses on money in your Bible. This is not a side issue to the Bible. This is a main issue to God. He tells you very clearly what he thinks about money, what we should do with our money. And it's very important that we talk about money in church. Because God talks about money in the word over 2,000 times. Most of Jesus' parables were about money. Jesus talked a lot about money. So we need to talk about money today. And we need to talk about the truth, what the Bible really has to say. Now, once again, we're talking about prosperity with a purpose, specifically today about rich God, poor God. And we're going to lay some foundation today about what the Bible says about money. First of all, when we get into the subject of money, we need to rightly divide the word of God. When we study the Bible, which we are going to study the Bible at least a little bit today, we need to rightly divide what the scriptures say because if you can rightly divide it, you can wrongly divide it. A lot of people do that. That's why they get in a ditch in one extreme or the other. Now, there's a lot of persecution against the prosperity message when it comes to the church. And there's a reason for that. If there's one person that doesn't want the church of Jesus Christ to have money, 
It's not God. So guess what spirit is influencing that? It is the enemy, the thief, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So that's why you have seen, especially over the past 10, 20 years, the world, the media slamming any preacher, church who talks about prosperity. And they'll say stuff like this. Well, they're just a prosperity preacher. And that's just a prosperity church. And they're preaching a prosperity gospel. And they're a health and wealth church. Okay, let's take spiritualness out of this. Common sense. What, what do you want me to be? What do you want us to be? A poverty church? A poverty preacher? A sickness and poorness preacher? Common sense would say that's crazy. We're not even talking about the Bible yet. So do you see how dumb that even sounds to say, well, you're a prosperity church and you're a prosperity preacher and you preach a prosperity gospel and you're a health and wealth? No, I'm preaching what the Bible says. And just because the church world has been so far in the other extreme in the poverty ditch, they persecute anyone who preaches that God wants to prosper them and provide for them. But it's all over the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. But, you know, the world puts a spin on it, right? Prosperity churches are shady. Prosperity preachers are, are shady. They're after your money. Now, I know there is some that are. But everyone who preaches on prosperity is not a shady, evil, sleazy preacher trying to sell you $100 bottles of water from the Jordan River. <laughs> Come on now, somebody. Just because I preach about prosperity does not mean I believe in all that stuff that's on TV. I don't, for the most part. Because they're in a ditch as well. But we have to be very clear this morning. Don't listen to religion and don't listen to the world on what they say about what God says about money. Listen to the word of God and what the word says, which we're going to find about today. We're going to realize that God is a God that wants you to prosper. He wants you to have your needs met. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be favored. He wants you to have more than enough. He's a God of abundance. He's not a poor God. He's not a God of scarcity. He is a God who is rich and prosperous, and he is full of grace and blessing. He's a good father. So we're going to talk today about rich God, poor God. How do we see God? But we're going to have to study the Bible first. Now, here's one of the main reasons why people come to the wrong conclusions about money in the Bible and, and go into ditches. We're going to study for a second here. So let's look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. In the Amplified, notice what he says to Timothy. Paul, speaking to Timothy, study, implying if you don't study, you're going to mishandle the Bible and make wrong assumptions about it. And do your best to present yourself to God approved, a workman tested by trial, who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. Or the King James said, those who rightly divide the word of truth. If you can rightly divide it, you can wrongly divide it. Now, here's what we need to know about the Bible and money. The subject of money in the Bible is nuanced. 
Yes, it is. And if you don't study your Bible, you will come to the wrong conclusion about money. Scripture interprets Scripture. You can't just take one Scripture out and say, okay, I believe that. But what about this Scripture over here? And what about this Scripture over here? And what about this Scripture over here? The Bible about money is very nuanced. And I'm going to tell you why. You have to study to show yourself approved. Because if you don't, you'll take one Scripture and run in a ditch. That's why people have questions about money because they'll take one verse which talks about somebody who loves God being poor and it being a good thing and and they'll run in the ditch and say, well, all of us need to be poor because poverty equals a relationship with God and it equals me being humble and holy. That doesn't necessarily mean that, but they don't compare it to other scriptures. Okay. And, And then... On the other extreme, which I would say more people in our camp and company would be like, they'll take one scripture that talks about us being blessed and us being prosperous, and then they'll get up from the front and make people feel like if they don't have a mansion, a Lambo, and a gold chain, that, that God doesn't love them. And they're not a faith person. If, if they don't live in a mansion and have millions of dollars in your bank account, then, then I'm blowing it, God hates me, and I'm not really favored and blessed. That's a ditch too. That's extreme. God never said that. But somebody could take one verse and make it sound that way. So I'm going to tell you what the Bible really says. There's four categories in the Bible when it talks about money. There's the righteous rich. So there's somebody who loves God and is generous and their heart's right. There's a righteous rich person. Now, there's an unrighteous rich mentioned in the Bible when you study it. Somebody who doesn't love God, but they got money. Because they did it their own way. And you can, you can get rich doing it your own way. Then there's the righteous poor. There's people that love God and just don't have a lot. And then there's the unrighteous poor. So when you read your Bible, realize there's four different people they're talking about. And you need to study so you know which one they're talking about. Because if you go into any four of these categories, you'll get in a ditch if you just think there's only one person the Bible's referring to. The righteous rich. The unrighteous rich, the righteous poor, the unrighteous poor. Can we study the Bible for a second? Let me give you some examples of all four of those people. And this is especially in Proverbs because the Proverbs has a lot to say about money. Okay, so let's study. You ready to study? Okay. Let's look at a verse here. Proverbs 22.1 in the New Living. Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. So what's it talking about here? It's talking about a righteous, poor person in that category, meaning that this person loves God and they would rather have a good reputation than great riches. And how many know we should care about that? Because there's a lot of us in here, you'll get opportunities in your life to make money, but if you do it dishonestly, was it worth it? That's what it's talking about here. And so in this verse, it's actually saying that there's a person who doesn't have a lot, but they're righteous and they love God, but that's better than riches. So that's one example. Um, let's go to, I have many Proverbs here, Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he has no sorrow with it. That's a righteous rich person in that category. That's someone who loves God, who serves God, and God has blessed him. And notice he adds no sorrow with it. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. So there's another example. The righteous rich. 
Proverbs 10, 15. The rich man's wealth is a strong city. So it's talking about somebody who has money and has done it the right way. It's, it's, it's a foundational thing. It's security. But notice what it says about poverty. But the destruction of the poor is their poverty. See, this is why I disagree with people that have the po poverty message in the church. How could God want you to be destroyed? Because the Bible says that the destruction of the poor is their poverty. God doesn't steal, kill, and destroy. That's the enemy. God wants you to have more than enough. But just in this verse, what does it talk about? The first one is the righteous rich. The second part is the unrighteous poor. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. Are you following me so far? So this is how you read your Bible, and you can see it's talking about four different groups of people. Proverbs 10 and verse 4 in the New Living. Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. So what's it talking about there? The first one is talking about an unrighteous person who's poor because they're lazy. And the second part is talking about a righteous person who works really hard and God blesses them and they will get rich. Different categories of people. And lastly, Proverbs 13 and verse 11. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. So right there, it's talking about an unrighteous rich person who does something, and they do make some money, but they're going to lose it. And notice the second part. Wealth from hard work grows over time. That's talking about a righteous person who loves God and works hard and invests their money. They're going to prosper if they give it some time. So... I just picked out a tiny portion of verses in Proverbs, and all of these verses have these four people listed, the righteous rich, the unrighteous rich, the righteous poor, and the unrighteous poor. So when you're reading your Bible, study and rightly divide who he's talking about there. Is he talking to me, or is he talking to a person who doesn't even love God, and that's why they're doing this. Or who is he talking to in this category? And this is why people fall into a ditch on one side or the other or get in extremes because they take one verse, do not rightly divide it, and now they're on team poverty. And God wants us to be poor, and Jesus was poor, which is not true, by the way, and, and a lot of other stuff. And, and they take one little verse that talks about somebody loving God and being poor, being a good thing, and they make a whole doctrine and teaching and way of life about it. Once again, there's people more in our camp and company that will take a couple verses like this that the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and they take that as meaning all of us are going to have mansions and Bentleys. Bible doesn't say that. But he does mean he wants you to have more than enough. Amen. He does want you to prosper. Right. Yes, We're rightly dividing the word this morning. Yes, We're still talking about prosperity with a purpose. And rich God, poor God. So, as we go a little bit further, we need to understand a lot of us, when it pertains to money, have a lot of ideas handed down to us. How do you see God? Who is God to you? Just ask yourself this question, all of you in here. Do you see God as rich? Do you see God as poor? Do you see God as a God of abundance? Or do you see God as a God of scarcity? Our view of God is affected by what we have been taught. 
especially growing up, from the church world, from religion, from our family, from our community, from the neighborhood we grew up in, from the world around us. And a lot of times those assumptions and traditions are absolutely wrong about God. But if you believe them, that's all you can receive from God. That's where your limit will be on what you can receive from God. Let me give you a good verse. And Jesus talked about this in the Gospels, Mark 7 and verse 13. Notice what he says, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. You got this handed down to you from your family, from your school, from your neighborhood you grew up in, from your community, and many such things you do. But Jesus said you can make the word of God of no effect because of your tradition, your assumptions about God you've been taught. Making the word of God of no effect. So what does this mean? Even though God's word says that you should be prosperous, that God is a God of richness and fullness and abundance, and God is a God of more than enough, if you believe your traditions you grew up with more than the word of God, it will make the word of God of no effect in your life, even though it's not the truth. And that's why I'm talking today about this because I want to get some wrong thinking out of your mind because it's going to keep you limited about what God can do in your life because you can make the word of God of no effect even though it's the truth because you want to hold on to your traditions and your assumptions about who God is and what he does just because the way you were raised or what your teachers taught you and your community taught you and the world taught you. And there's religious traditions and there's worldly traditions and most of them are nonsense. Not the word of God. But if you believe them, they will make the word of God of no effect in your life. I'm preaching better than you responded today. (laughs) So that's why we need to know what God has to say. And that's why I just told you how to read your Bible. There's four different types of people he's talking about pertaining to money. So rightly divide it. When you rightly divide it, you come up with the right answer, which is going to produce life. So we need to talk about some traditions. Here's some traditions that people hold to that are wrong and assumptions. Poverty equals humility. (laughs) Poverty equals holy. Poverty equals humble. Poverty equals meekness. No, it doesn't. Now, here's another assumption or tradition in the church world and in the world around us, the secular world. Rich means greedy, prideful, arrogant. It's amazing that church people and worldly people have a problem with rich people. But they're believing assumptions, traditions. Listen to me clearly here. Whether you're on team riches or team poverty today, the amount of money you have does not make you prideful, does not make you humble, does not make you arrogant, does not make you holy. Your heart you have when you have the money determines who you are as a person. I know a lot of poor people that are stingy, 
arrogant, grumpy, sinful, prideful, and they got nothing. And I know a lot of wealthy people who are the most loving, godly, kind, generous, humble people I've ever met. Those are assumptions and traditions that are wrong. What does the word say? It has nothing to do with the amount of money you have. It has to do with your heart. That's what God cares about, and that's what matters. I've heard somebody say this, and I, I'm pretty sure I've heard many well-known preachers say this before. But money doesn't change you into a different person. It just makes you more who you already are. So if you got a bad attitude poor, you're going to have a bigger bad attitude rich. If you're stingy poor, you're going to be even more stingy rich. If you're generous poor, you're going to be really generous rich. If you're faithful when you're poor, you're going to be ten times more faithful when you're rich. Money just makes you more of who you already are because it's based on your heart. Those are traditions. Here's another tradition. Especially in the church world. Jesus was poor, so I need to be poor, so the church should be poor. The pastor should definitely be poor. Yeah. They should definitely be poor. If anybody's going to be poor, the pastor should be poor. Because Jesus was poor. He was poor and humble. You notice the language talked about Jesus when he says meek and lowly and gentle has nothing to do with money. has to do with his heart. Stop assuming the word lowly, meek, and humble equals poverty, homeless, living under the bridge. Because people treat Jesus like he was like that. He was not. That's a tradition. Let me just talk about Jesus for a second because a lot of people say, Jesus was poor, so you need to be poor. How dare you talk about prosperity? Jesus was poor. Let me tell you just several quick reasons why Jesus was not poor. First of all, Jesus was not poor because the Bible says he had many wealthy women who funded his ministry. Second of all, Jesus had a staff. Jesus had a staff of 12 people. Then he ended up having a staff of 70 people who he was paying for out of his own treasury. And he had a treasurer. If you have a staff like that, you're not poor. If you have a treasurer... I mean, no, poor people don't have treasurers. Poor people don't have people who handle their finances because they got none. And even with Judas, it took him years and years to figure out he was taking money because there was so much money in there. Don't say that Jesus was poor. I'll give you another reason why Jesus wasn't poor. When Jesus was born, there was three wise men who came to him who gave him extravagant gifts and that day worth millions and billions of dollars that Jesus was given when he was a child. How many know that Joseph and Mary, because they were godly right parents, saved all that stuff for Jesus when he grew up? So Jesus had lots and lots of resources to start his ministry with. Frankincense, gold, and myrrh. And these were three wise men. It wasn't a Christmas card. It wasn't just one little box. No, when kings and wise men traveled like that, they would bring camel loads of frankincense, gold, and myrrh. 
and they gave it to Jesus when he was a kid. So he had millions or billions in this day of money left waiting for him to start his ministry. Now, I didn't say he used it on himself, but he had it and he used it to help other people. That's why he used that money. Jesus was not poor. Tradition. But if you believe it, you'll make the word of God of no effect because you're tradition. What does the Bible say? That's what we need to know. The Bible's the truth, not tradition, not assumptions, not what your grandma told you, not what your parents told you, not what the neighborhood you grew up in told you. The Bible is the truth. But we can make the word of God of no effect because tradition. Jesus was not poor. So we need to understand what the Bible really says. The answer to greed, some people would be like, well, the answer to greed, God says don't be greedy, so that means be poor. <laughs> no, that's not the answer to greed. The Bible says the answer to being greedy is to be generous, not to be poor. Once again, it's a tradition because people are so scared. They're like, God warned me not to be greedy. Well, how do I, I just don't want to be greedy. I guess I just, just don't need to have anything. I should be poor. No, the Bible says you can have something, but you need to be generous. That's the answer to greed in your heart. To keep greed out of your heart is to give your money with an open hand. Everything you have belongs to God. The more God gives you, the more you can give. The more he does in you, the more he can do through you. The more he gives into your life, you say, God, there's an open hand. I don't care if I have $10 or $10 million. It all belongs to you. The answer to greed is not poverty. It's generosity. Am I helping you today? I'm trying to lay a foundation for where we're going in the series. We're talking about prosperity with a purpose. So I don't usually read Google reviews of myself. But when you got time on your hands every once in a while, you're like, let's look up a church on the rock. Let's look at Pastor Jordan Jacobs. Let's see if there's any shade on the internet about me. Our church, look it up later. Not right now. Our church has nothing but five stars. We're a five-star type of place, aren't we, church? Five stars. Five stars Google. Five stars Facebook. Five stars. This is a five-star church with great reviews. Just like great restaurants. It's great reviews. We're serving good food around here. <laughs> but I was looking through the reviews and there's five star, five star, five star, one star. How somebody going to one star me on Google reviews? But you know what it said? We read it to you. It's, it's short and sweet and to the point. False teachings of the prosperity gospel. Hold on. Be warned. Got me. 
false teachings of the prosperity gospel, be warned. (laughs) Now, God bless this person. I do not know this person at all. I'm not going to mention their name because I don't even know who this person is. If someone said this person was at church, I don't know. I have no idea who this person is. False teachings of the prosperity gospel be warned. That's the one bad review we get. Why? Because somebody has been taught traditions and assumptions about who God really is. And they think that we are wrong and we're teaching something that's going to hurt people. Be warned. God wants you sick and broke. Be warned. He does not want to bless you. Be warned. Do you see how crazy that sounds? So one bad review for Church on the Rock. But that's the thing they picked on. Prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel. But it's prevalent in our culture and in the church world. Anyone who's preaching that, why? They get defensive because they believe traditions. They believe assumptions. They, they've taken one verse and went to an extreme in addition. Not rightly divided the word, so they think anyone who preaches on prosperity, it's evil. Need to warn you. You're a wolf in sheep's clothing, pastor. You're a swindler. You're a snake oil salesman. (laughs) God bless that person. I have no idea who they are. But they've been taught wrong. They've been taught wrong. Whether they were taught that in the world or in the church, could be both. But God wants us as his children to be blessed, to be prosperous, to have more than enough. And he wants us to give give, or get and have prosperity so we can give that prosperity to help others. Prosperity has a purpose. But first we have to decide on who we think God is. Let's go to John 10 and 10. We're doing good today. You guys are doing great. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have life more abundantly. Now, this is Jesus speaking red letter. You can't deny it. He's a prosperity preacher. He said, if anyone's trying to steal and kill and destroy you, it's not me, it's the enemy. Now, it says the enemy comes to destroy. What did the verse in Proverbs say? That the destruction of the poor is their poverty. It's not from God. Poverty's never blessed anyone a day in their life. No, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Now, I know this. Don't say, Pastor, he's just talking about spiritual things. Duh! I know that. That is the most important thing. God came to give us eternal life. God came to restore us. God came to forgive us. God came to heal us from the inside out. I know that's the most important thing. I get that. Money is not the most important thing. But an abundant life, money is a part of. God's going to go through all that, sending his son, redeeming you, restoring you, and giving you eternal life, but saying, sorry, I can't help you with your bills. 
I was powerful enough to change eternity, but I can't give you a few bucks while you're here on the earth. <laughs> yes, I know money is not the most important thing in life. I get that. But money is a part of us having an abundant life that God has called us to live. It's not the only blessing, but it's a part of the blessing. In the same way that your salvation is a part of life and blessing. Your healing of your body is a part of life and blessing. The prosperity of your relationships are a blessing. But your money and having more than enough for you and your family and your children's children, and that you would have more than enough to bless other people is a part of life and blessing that God is talking about in this verse. I came that they would have life and more abundantly, not barely get by, not waiting on a government handout. No, God said he came to give us life and life more abundantly, spiritually, Physically, emotionally, mentally, financially, in every part of our life. Because God cares about every part of us. He does. He doesn't just care about the spirit you. He does. But he cares about every part of you. He made every part of you. Your soul, your body, your relationships, this earth, finances, all of that. And he cares about all of that. And he came so that the enemy could stop stealing, killing, and destroying your life. And you could have life more abundantly in every area. But specifically what I'm talking about today is your money, your finances. Prosperity with a purpose. It's so important. So when people attack the prosperity message... Let's call it for what it is. You're not attacking a preacher. You're not attacking a doctrine. You're not attacking a teaching. When you say that God is not a God of prosperity, you're attacking the nature and character of God. Who do you think he is? Don't make this into a doctrinal teaching issue. This is a character of God issue, and you're attacking the nature and character of who God really is when you say he's not a God of abundance. He's not a God of prosperity. He's not a God of richness. Then who is he? The God who created everything, the God who created the universe, the God who sustains everything by the word in his mouth, is a God who's poor and broke and, and running out in scarcity? No, that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God that I serve. No, God is a God of prosperity, of blessing, of richness, of favor, of more than enough. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God who I serve. So you got to decide, is he a rich God or is he a poor God? He's rich. And richer than money. You realize that? Like, that's a human invention. <laughs> they don't have that in heaven. They don't. Money on earth is a human thing, but 
He's a God of abundance and richness and fullness. And so take that back. Anytime somebody attacks the prosperity message, you're attacking the nature and character of God. Who, who, who do you think God is? And if you really feel defiant, say, who the heck do you think you are? <laughs> Sorry, that's the way I talk sometimes. Because you're making all sorts of assumptions and traditions about a God who's very clear in his word, this is who he is, and you're saying he's not this. And you're leading other people astray and saying, no, God is not a God of prosperity. So when we don't believe in prosperity, we're attacking the nature and character of God. I want to give you a few definitions of what rich and poor means from the Bible. And then I'm going to give you a few reasons why I feel like that God wants you to prosper. Is that okay? First, I want to start here just to give us some perspective. We need perspective when it comes to money. Here's what I need you to understand today. Rich is relative. Rich is relative. I just want to encourage all of you in here who are Americans on how rich you actually are before we start talking about God's fullness in your life. Because rich is relative. Here's some stats for you that will shock you. If you have food, clothing, shelter, money in the bank, money in your wallet, you're in the top 10% of people in the world with wealth. How many of you have all those things? Raise your hand. If you make $50,000 or more, which is a lot of you in here, you're in the top 1% richest people in the world. Not in the country, in the world. If you make $50,000 or more a year, rich is relative. Because some of us in here have attitude towards rich people. You're like, oh, those rich elites like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk with all their wealth, the 1%. You is the 1%. <laughs> Stop acting like you're not. You are. $50,000 or more, which is a lot of us in here, not everybody. You're in the top 1% richest people in the planet, and you're complaining about billionaires' money. You is the rich elite that you're complaining about. Need to pay more taxes. You need to pay more taxes. Get some perspective here, people. Rich is relative. Most people live, 80% people in the world, in the world, live on $10 or less a week. More than one-third live on $2 a day. Rich is relative. Before we talk about God's richness and fullness and prosperity in your life, Realize all of you in here are stinking rich compared to the rest of the world. And we need to be thankful. I said we need to be thankful in here. 
we need to be grateful in here. Just to even have the basic things we're talking about. Food, clean water, shelter, money in your bank, a vehicle to drive here. You are the richest people in the planet and you're complaining that you're poor. You're not. You're not. Get some perspective here. All of us are in the top 10% and a lot of us are in the top 1% richest, wealthiest people on the planet. God has been good to us. Why am I saying that? First, to give you a little change of mind and some perspective to be grateful, but also to realize you're responsible with that money you have. I just told you you're some of the richest people in the world. Okay, well, God gave you it for a reason. Now you're responsible for it. Because prosperity has a purpose. Here's the basic definitions that the Bible gives for rich and poor. Poor, real simple. It's, it's not a certain type of house or car. It's not a certain amount in your bank account. Poor means never having enough. That's what the Bible says poor is, never having enough. Now, this is the biblical definition of rich in the Bible. It's having more than enough. So when I say rich, it does not mean a house on MTV Cribs. (laughs) It does not mean a certain car. The Bible, when it says rich, it means you have more than enough. And that's God's perfect will for all of us, that we wouldn't be poor. We wouldn't be living with less than enough. We would be rich in our finances, in our resources, in our money, that God wants us rich. Doesn't mean a Lambo in a mansion. It means God wants us to have more than enough, enough for us and our family to take care of everything we need and more than enough to bless other people with it. That's what the Bible says rich is. It's more than enough. It's God's will that we prosper. It's God's will that we're blessed. It's God's will that we are rich and have more than enough. I want to give you three reasons as we close on why God wants you to prosper. The first reason is real simple. God is a good father. God is a good father. That's why he wants you to prosper. Matthew 7 and verse 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The number one reason why God wants you to prosper is because he's a good father. God is a good father. And in this passage, it says, compared to God's goodness, we're all evil parents. And we know that we would want to take care of our kids. How much more our heavenly father wants to give good things to those who ask him. The number one reason God wants you to prosper is he's a good father. If we care that much about our kids, how much more God? 
Now, I'm not trying to embarrass her today, but my daughter is on the front row, Natalie. I try to be a good dad. But if Natalie didn't have enough food, didn't have enough clothes, she had her head down and she was dirty and she was living in poverty, that would grieve me as a dad. But many people act like God's doing that to them to teach them something. What kind of God are you serving? If I care that much about Natalie having every need met, her food, her school, her clothes, her entertainment, whatever she needs, dad's got her because she's my daughter and I'm evil compared to the goodness of God. I'm about to take a lap if you don't respond. How much more our Father in heaven, who's better than me and better than you, how much does he care about us? He would give good gifts to us and say, I don't want my kids sad or broke or depressed or sick or tired. I want them healed and prosperous and blessed and favored and having more than enough. I don't know what kind of God some people serve. If a good parent can understand this, and compared to God's goodness, we're evil. How much more our Father in heaven wants to give good things to us? If we had no other reason than this, this would be enough reason for you to know that God wants you to prosper. The number one reason God wants you to prosper is because he's a good father. He's a good dad. He's not a dad who leaves you. He's not a dad who forsakes you. He's not a dad that they have to go find to pay child support for his kids. He's a good dad. And a good dad says this, whatever I have is yours. How much more heavenly father, what he has, which is everything, is ours. It all belongs to him. And God says, I'm a good dad. I'm a good father. In 1 Timothy 5, it says that if you don't take care of your own kids, you're worse than an unbeliever. But many people say that God's doing that to them. (laughs) No, he's not. God is a good father. Whatever he has is mine. My dad, I have a good dad, and um, he's made jokes about this his whole life. But there's been times in my life that I'm running low on toiletry items. (laughs) Soap, shampoo, shaving cream, toothpaste. But if you know something about dad, he has stock loads. Barns filled with plenty. (laughs) He always buys extra so he doesn't run out. And many a times he said this because I was running low on stuff and I'm like, I could go to Walgreens. (laughs) But I got a good dad. You my dad, right? 
and whatever he has is mine. So I take my shopping cart into his bedroom. <laughs> Let me get a little soap. Let me get a little shampoo. Let me get a little shaving cream. And then later he says, did someone take some of my stuff? And I said, yeah, it was me. It's all right, because you're my son. And whatever I have is yours. How much more us? Our heavenly father is way better dad than me, way better dad than my dad. He is a good heavenly father, and he doesn't want to come us to come timidly into his house begging and pleading and asking, God, could you help me with a little bit? No, he says, come to my throne boldly and get grace and help in your time of need. Don't come in and peek in the refrigerator. That's what a lot of Christians do because they don't know who God really is. Grab all the leftovers. I know you're experiencing that with Sammy every day, probably every hour at the moment. But he has freedom because he knows he belongs there. He's a part of the family. And whatever his parents have is his. That's the way God wants us to be with him. Not timid. But God, I need help paying this bill. I need more money for my school going or my kids going to college. I'm believing that you're going to help me with this new house and this new car. I want to give more to my church. God, I'm believing you for this because you're a good father. You're a good dad and you know how to take care of your kids. Number one reason God wants you to prosper, he's a good dad. You want a few more? Can you handle more? Yes. Second one is God wants you to prosper because it's part of our redemptive rights. It's part of our redemptive rights. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9 in the New Living says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Now, for those of you who want to argue about this verse, who are acting like it's spiritual, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 are specifically about money. And it says right here that Jesus, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he can make you rich. God wants you to prosper because it's part of our redemptive rights. Jesus paid for it. In the same way he paid for your sickness, and the same way he paid for your sin, he paid for your poverty. Now, here's another question. Well, well, Pastor, you just said that Jesus wasn't poor. So when did he do this? He did it at the same time he became sin and he became sickness, which was on the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he took everything we were 
so we could become everything he is. On the cross, he became sin even though he did not sin. He became sickness even though he wasn't sickness. He became poverty even though he wasn't poverty. And he became everything we were so we could become everything he is. And when he took your sin, he took your sickness and he took your poverty. It's a part of your redemptive rights. Just as much as your sin and your salvation is a part of your redemptive rights. Jesus redeemed you from poverty just like he did sin, just like he did sickness at the same time on the cross. I'm preaching myself happy this morning. Jesus paid for it. So we need to receive everything he paid for. Most believers would agree Jesus paid for your sin. About half the believers believe Jesus would pay for your sickness. But then people get real funny when you start talking about Jesus paid for your poverty. But it's in the Bible, just like the rest of those things. Jesus paid for your sin, your sickness, and he paid for your poverty. It's a part of your inheritance. Jesus provided prosperity for us. It's part of our redemptive rights. He became poor, the Bible says, that we could be made rich. Once again, what's the definition? Because when I say that, everybody's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> He didn't say billionaire. He didn't say mansion. He didn't say a certain car. I mean, God doesn't care about that stuff, but but don't assume that's what he's saying. He became poor, which is having less than enough, so that we could become rich having more than enough. That's what Jesus paid for. That, That his sons and daughters would never struggle with this barely get by. We would always have more than enough for ourselves. And more than enough so we could give to others. Last thing I want to share is this. God wants you to prosper so you can help others. Steve, could you come play for me today? And I got three really good verses for us. So once again, why does God want you to prosper? God's a good father. Number two, it's part of your redemptive rights as a believer. Number three, God wants to prosper you so you can help others. That's the purpose of prosperity. The purpose of prosperity is so we can help other people. I got three really good verses for you today. First is Abraham. How many know who Abraham is? Anybody know Abraham in here? Abraham in the Bible was called the father of our faith father of many nations and Abraham before he met God was just living in a tent wasn't prosperous but when God touched his life and touched his family he became very prosperous very rich but God told Abraham there's a purpose for your prosperity Abraham I'm not just giving it to you for you And that's what I think sometimes people in our flow or our camp and company, 
go to an extreme about prosperity and they just preach about it's for you. It's for you. It's for you. But it's not. It's for others. Of course your needs are going to be met, but God wants you to have so much overflow, more than enough that you can help other people. That's the reason he prospers you. It's bigger than you. Notice what he tells Abraham, Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But notice what he said to Abraham. I'm going to bless you and you will be a blessing. I will bless you, prosperity, and you will be a blessing, purpose. I will bless you, prosperity, and you will be a blessing. That's your purpose. At this church, yes, we believe in prosperity, but not prosperity just for us. Prosperity with a purpose. God blesses you so you can bless other people. God saves you so you can save other people. God heals you so you can heal other people. God changes you so you can change other people. It's never just about you. And God prospers you so you can help other people. Are you getting some today? Listen to this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul speaking about money. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. In verse 8, And God will generously provide all you need. You hear me? And God will generously provide all you need. Prosperity. Then you always have everything you need and... Here's the purpose. And plenty left over to share with others. Isn't that great? God says, I'm going to give back to you and provide all you need. And you will have everything you need. Prosperity. But then you'll have plenty left over to share with others. That's the purpose. That's the purpose. That's the purpose. Last verse I want to share with you today. Is in Deuteronomy. And I want to speak this over us prophetically as a church family, what God wants to do in your life. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament and God's people in Deuteronomy, they're about to go into the promised land. They're about to go into the place that God said belonged to them. And we know it's a type in the shadow of today, all the promises of God are yes and amen for us as believers. And this is the place that God wants us to be in his promises. So listen to this verse in Deuteronomy verse 8. What God wants to do with his people, but what God wants to do with you. Because God wants to prosper you so you can help others. Deuteronomy 8, this is a great passage. Verse 6. Therefore, 
You shall keep the commandment of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God, this is what he wants to do to all of you in here, is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of the hills and the valleys. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive oil and honey. Now, this is describing prosperity, abundance. A land which you will eat bread without scarcity. In which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of those hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his judgment, his statutes, was it commanded you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full, that's some of us in here right now, God has blessed you so much, but you forgot where it came from. Come on, top 1%. Come on, top 10%. Don't forget where it came from. There's a purpose to this. Be thankful. Be grateful. God brought you to this place. It says, when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, still talking about prosperity, and all that you have is multiplied. When your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought you water out of the rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and might test you to do good in the end. Then you will say in your heart, my power and my hand have gained me this wealth. Verse 18, and you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is today. Isn't that a beautiful passage? Let's leave verse 18 up here. We're still talking about prosperity with a purpose. God prospers you so you can help other people, so you can bless other people. It's not just for you. But this is a warning he gives us. I'm going to bless you and you're going to prosper and you're going to be rich. You're going to have more than enough. But like all of us, the tendency is to think that I did this. I gained this. I worked for this. I earned this. And God says, no. When I found you, Somebody need to remember back. When he found us, we were slaves in Egypt. How many know slaves don't own anything? They don't have anything. 
that's the condition we all were in when God found us. Don't puff your chest out and act like I did this and I gained this and I earned this. No, when God found you, you were a slave in Egypt who owned nothing, who was in bondage to your slave master. But God is so good. He freed you from the hand of the enemy. And he brought you through the Red Sea. And then he brought you through the wilderness. And even in the wilderness, he provided for you so you wouldn't die. Some of you have been through that. You didn't have any other source, but God supernaturally, just like he did in the wilderness, he brought manna from heaven. He flew quail in that you didn't know were coming. You didn't even have water to drink, and he made water come out of a rock so you wouldn't go under. And listen to this. Then he says, but I'm bringing you into a good land. That was great I provided for you back then, but this is where he wants to take all of us. And I'm going to give you houses you didn't build and vineyards you didn't dig. And you're going to have abundance in crops and abundance in produce and abundance in every area. And you're going to come into this land and you're not going to lack anything. But one thing I ask you to remember, you don't forget the purpose of why I did it. And why did I do it? Yeah, because I love you, but it's not just about you. I did it for a reason. He says the reason. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. That's prosperity. Here's the purpose. Why did he give it to you? That he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers. Or we could say he would establish his kingdom. That's why he gave it to you. Not just for you. Not just for you. But to build his kingdom on the earth. To build his church in the earth. I've given you the power to get wealth that I may establish my covenant in the earth that's the purpose that's the purpose I mean God loves you so much he wants to bless you so much he wants to prosper you so much but don't forget where it came from and don't forget the purpose of it this is a church that's not going to forget about the purpose of it we believe in prosperity, yes, 100%, but prosperity with a purpose. What's the purpose? That we would establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That we would build his church. That we would do what he's called us to do. That we would help more missionaries. That we would build more churches. That we could help more of the poor. That we could fund more projects. That we would do what God is calling us to do prosperity with the purpose do you guys get anything today
Here's one thing that has always confused me, and don't let other people confuse you. I've had friends before that have been like this. They're all about, Pastor, let's help the poor. Let's, let's do social justice. Let's do this. Let's do that. But all those same people didn't believe in prosperity. I mean, that doesn't make sense. The poor cannot help the poor. The prosperity message is not a selfish message at all. If it has a purpose connected to it. I believe in helping the poor. I believe in doing social justice. But poor people can't do it. Has to be some people who God has prospered and blessed to change the world, to change nations, to change people. Some people who believe God for finances, not just for yourself, but for others. So the prosperity message is not a selfish message. It's a message with purpose to do more for the kingdom of God. And I believe our church is going to do more of that. We're going to build more churches. We're going to help more missionaries. We're going to help people that have needs, the poor. We're going to do more than we've ever done before because God's going to prosper us. And we're not going to forget the purpose. It's not just for us. It's for others. I am done today. (laughs) Did you guys get something today? Come on, let's stand up today. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.